Hey, I'm Ben Kiebrick, and this is Selects. This episode, four tracks that stretch your ears with their experiments in sound. Most podcasts fall into a few categories. Interviews, roundtables, narratives, audio dramas. Producers use signposts and repetition to guide along listeners who producers suspect are multitasking while running errands. But here are four pieces that scoff at those conventions. They demand your attention and revel in building worlds out of sound and noise. Let's begin. Hi. Anything you're looking for? The records. Just flip through and look out. On a windy day, you'll hear like the big old tree outside scraping across the roof. Oh, on the walls? There's album covers, sheet music, and they're here for atmosphere. Art, atmosphere. Cousins. Oh, the oil cans. My father had in his garage. Hey, this will work out for holding a table for the records. There's a futon there, some pillows. Anything to make the dog and I comfortable. Oh, that's snow. And as you can see, snow is indicating that he has to go outside. The records sell themselves. Tell you what it's become. It literally has become a museum. You know, retro, blah, blah, blah. You buy a record, and it's super rare, and you never listen to it. What's the point? When do you put tea on when you come in? Oh, I don't use it for tea myself. I throw some hot water in the toilet, it freezes. My father bought the building back in late 77. I had talked to him about opening a record store. He wanted to repair appliances. My father died within six months after opening this. When I was a kid, my parents for Christmas gave me the best of Henry Mancini and Herb Albert with cream and other delights. I would collect picture sleeves or EPs just because it appealed to me visually. That's what I immediately missed when I sold my collection. I'm over it now. What else am I going to do? I'll tell you what it's become. It literally has become a museum. My second wife said it was my mistress. Yeah, I, I hope every day that someone will come through the door and make me an offer that I can't refuse. And of course, you know I'll have to then. Whoever buys this place will level it. I guess there'll be a semi-tear in the corner of my eye for that last time when I close the door. Mm-hmm. That'll be it. But hey, 
Nothing lasts in life. So that was by Magnus Genioso. It's the first song from Whereabouts. That's with an at sign for the A. So Where At Bouts, which is self-described as a popcast that dares to remix the world. Magnus told me that that recording was from 2014. It featured Resale Records, a used vinyl store in Madison, Wisconsin. Um, and you heard from its owner, Eric Tysberg. Unfortunately, Eric passed away last year. Like always, there's links in the show notes and on selects.show where you can find more work from the featured artists. Next up is the clip from the beginning of the first episode of this new podcast called Qualia. If you have the chance, I really recommend just kind of sitting somewhere and concentrating fully on the audio for this one. We're going to be using a technique called directed visualization where we help you construct a world for you to experience. Think of it as virtual reality for your ears that you get to help create. Don't worry, it's not hard. All you have to do is relax, feel creative, and focus on my instructions. So, ready to begin? Then let's go to a completely different place. Take a few deep breaths in through the nose, out through the mouth. Focus on your breath. Feel your body soften. Let's start by thinking about the air around you. It's crisp, fresh. You can smell real pine trees. Imagine you've got ski boots strapped to your feet and you've snapped into your skis. You look up. In the staggering, pristine Canadian mountain range, it's beautiful. And you are about to go skiing in this wilderness. Okay, so now let's create some people to join us. First, picture your guide. Use this voice it smells like Christmas to help construct her in your mind <laughs> and that's when I love it because sometimes you'll just get this whiff I mean you're like ah oh, especially the blue spruce smells super nice imagine her to be rugged tan with wind hardened skin and hazel eyes <laughs> she's brought gear for all possible conditions and yet still somehow she's packed light mm-hmm. <laughs> now imagine other people joining you and try to picture each one of them 
as you hear their voice. No! What's up, potato chip? Hey, pal. Hey, guys. How's it going, man? Hey! Hey! Hello, it's nice to see you all. Aw, hey. Hey, pal. Did you grab my water bottle? Yeah, where is it? Okay. So now you've got a group of people Let's with just a guide. Up there. Yeah, it's a long hike. We gotta like, we can just keep in safe Let's begin this ski trip. First, we have to hike up 1,000 feet. Well, actually, you're skinning up 1,000 feet, not hiking. Skinning is basically gluing fabric to the bottom of your skis so that you can go up without sliding backward. It looks like cross-country skiing up a mountain. You're in the Canadian backcountry, and you are backcountry skiing. This is an activity where you ski outside the carefully monitored boundaries of a ski resort. It's an incredible, freeing experience, where you slice through fresh, unexplored snow. It puts you deeply in touch with nature, your fellow adventurers, and adrenaline. Deal with steep, unforgiving terrain. Rocks, trees, cornices. It's strenuous, and there's not much air up here, so even breathing is hard. And of course, there are avalanches that will kill you. This just adds to the thrill. There Yeah, I, I mean, I'd say this is a pretty good spot. You finally make it to the top after a long climb. There's a different scale out here. We're small. This world isn't under your control. It doesn't care about you. It is breathtaking. The tree line is the only kind of order imposed up here. Otherwise, it's just rugged and random, formed from massive tectonic forces and weather. I've never been this high in my entire life. You're imagining this environment because it's the perfect setting to explore your feelings about risk. Every detail that you hear, every tone that sneaks under your awareness, every fact of the scene has been carefully orchestrated from experimental research. Right now, you're very close to skiing down the mountain. You feel the powder under your skis. The wind pushes on your cheeks. This may seem like a small detail, but let's just peel back the scene to reveal why this likely pushes you to take a risk. It's called hyperbolic discounting. 
if we're a little bit distant from it, we don't value it nearly as much. So Often once you become addicted, you have a craving and you anticipate this strong positive emotion. And so it's not that you think it's less dangerous, it's that you stop caring about how dangerous it is. But in this case, there's a part of this person's brain that seems to be driving action, right? That is not necessarily consistent with what they want or, or the way they want to behave. People have argued that the limbic system sort of hijacks the rest of the brain and gets too much power. And when that drug is right in front of us, it's like we value it so much. It's right there. We'll explain why you're experiencing emotions and cognitive mechanisms along the way. Other times, the explanations will be hidden. So you can stay immersed in the scene. No, but for real, like we're about to yeah, do this. Yeah, yeah. Like oh, I'm so, uh, so stoked. Ready? Is, is everyone? I'm so stoked to be here with y'all right now. Woo! This is going to be great. It's just us against this, and we're going to tear it up no matter what we get thrown. We are invincible. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, but remember Jackson Hole? We had to dig you out of that tree well when you got too cocky. <laughs> Kristen, come on, you know that was a fluke. That was a one-time thing. I've heard stories about you and tree wells. <laughs> <laughs> this is gonna be great. Like dancing down clouds. When you're in a positive mood, it, it's not that you underestimate how dangerous something is. It's that the danger doesn't doesn't really resonate with you in any meaningful way. You stop caring about how dangerous it is. You stop caring. Stop caring. You edge towards the chute in front of you. You take a final look out across this grand view. And then... Whoa. Whoa. Oh my god. You can see it just went like that. It didn't take the whole slope, but it definitely took a layer. That, that, that was an avalanche. And if we can see it from here, it might have been six, eight inches deep, right? Just... Whoa. Several hundred feet of snowpack across the valley are just gone. Um. In your day-to-day life, you just don't see that much mass moving at that kind of a rate. It brought up that fear of the experience of an avalanche. It still is there, and it probably always will be. And I'm grateful for that because it's always going to make me more aware, you know, so... What's the, what is the experience you're talking about? Can you give us a little bit more on that? The, the, the slide you're in? You focus on the guide, who's acting very cagey. And she starts to tell a story. Um, so Step into this story. To step into the rest of that story, you'll have to listen to the full episode. It's worth your time, it's incredibly immersive and incredibly well produced. Again, that was a clip from the first episode of Qualia called Risk, and it was produced by Jordan Werfsbrock, Dan Boyce, Josh Bertucci, and Bishop Sand.
So the next piece is a collage, a free association of overlapping sounds and voices. You know, before I started working in audio, I don't think I ever paid attention to, to kind of breaths or, or mouth sounds, but now I, I can't help but hear them and kind of fixate on them. Uh, but anyway, I really love the way this next piece plays with them. You know, the girls would play psychological mind games. Um, or they'd tell me all of their deepest, darkest secrets because they knew I'd never tell anyone about it. They called me their, their secret diary. When I was growing up, my mom used to work in reception in a lot of small family practice doctors' mm. offices. And a lot of the people that she talked to day to day were nurses. One of the nurses there told me about a trick that she used to slow herself down so that she could think mm. about what she wanted to say before she said it. Then she would put the tip mm. of her tongue against the roof of her mouth anytime that she wasn't speaking. It was a way of physically stopping herself to give herself pause before she would speak. So that when she spoke... Like, who knows if those periods are necessary in your life because uh, you can't extract them. You, you have to wait for stuff sometimes, right? Or be wait, bored. Like, or, wait, what, what periods? Like, um, in order to see if your family member is okay, you have to wait to see what happens. And uh, there's no going back to your life before that happens. Um, you can't just, like, ignore a thing until you have that piece of information. Josephine, the six-year-old daughter and eldest child of Rudyard Kipling, died of pneumonia at 6.20 o'clock yesterday morning at the home of Miss Julie DeForest, a friend of the family, at 121 East 35th Street. The child's father, who was slowly convalescing from an attack of the same disease at the Hotel Grenoble, has not been told of his loss. His physicians fear that the shock might cause a relapse. It is Mrs. Kipling's earnest wish that all matters connected with the funeral of her daughter, Josephine, may be entirely private. She appreciates the fact that information concerning Mr. Kipling is of public interest, but the sorrow is her own, and she feels sure that newspaper reporters and editors will not wish to intrude upon her privacy. He has not been told of his daughter's death and probably will not be told for Except for the essence of your being, just one minute, one minute to think of those who have made a real difference in your life. Who's made a difference in your life? Oh, a lot of people. But a lot of people who have allowed me to have some silence. And I don't think we give that gift very much anymore. I'm very concerned that our society is much more interested in information than wonder, in noise rather than silence. When I was like two and a half or three, while in Colombia, it started, um, you know, 
selectively possibly speaking to people. Un- unconsciously selective. He wasn't like, I don't like you, I'm not talking to you. It's just, it's kind of happened. Uh, I don't remember the specifics. I think it's kind of been floating around subconsciously. I don't. I have, I don't recall any sort of traumatic event that triggered it. There is no not speaking, sort of, you know, like how could you, um, uh, I don't know, that's just where my mind goes with that, it's like, uh, what is it, yeah, what do you think was, he meant by not speaking? Uh, and at times scared to use words. I didn't want to be a bad boy. I didn't want to show people that I was angry. Or rather, tell them. Not wish even the hour or place of her daughter's funeral. But I could show it through the way I would play on the piano. I I I could literally laugh or cry. Therapies. I did like a regression therapy thing where I can like hypnotize you and then you have a dream. Disturbing dreams last night. Go to your past life. I did like the group therapy with all these kids, which was hilarious because it's just a room full of kids who won't speak to each other, writing messages on chalkboards and making balloon animals. No, maybe it makes you think of the world as some kind of like information <laughs> being passed to you via material objects. It was a um, assignment where we had to make a mask of a historical figure and then present their stories as them. This book belongs um, to Josephine. And I made a paper machine mask and I had her little hair sticking out of But I was able to get through it because I was able to hide behind the mask and I didn't have to look at anybody. I knew people were watching me do it. What can't we see about you that's essential? Uh, well, you can't see my uh, my spiritual life uh, unless you unless you ask me about it like my grandmother was totally like that she had a crazy life experience and my dad's like that too that but uh there's no it's not forthcoming in your normal interactions with them and then when you start to have a conversation that's solely for that purpose then things get dropped that are like bombs totally stunned by the depth of something that you thought was not so important. But you had to be there to... Have you... What have you learned from the kids? Practically everything. Like what? I was playing hide-and-seek with some friends of mine. At that point, you know, I wanted to talk, but I was just afraid of getting too much attention from people freaking out about... How to... Uh, the fact that I was talking. How to know that it's mm. all right to say what comes to your mind right away. I mean, I Before had... the protective mechanisms take hold of you. I had a seeking from overall and I would go hide behind some rocks and I would turn around and I'd say, don't tell anyone. That was Don't Tell Anyone from Tom Cody from his project Qualitative Radio Research, which is a collaboration between Tom and Adrian Lilly. Also, I do want to point out that that piece was from over a year ago Um, And so well before the kind of recent resurgence of Mr. Rogers from the Won't You Be My Neighbor documentary, uh, which sounds awesome, by the way, but isn't playing anywhere in Western Kansas. So uh, hopefully it comes to Netflix soon. 
All right, our final piece is a short one. It's a past submission to KCRW's 24-hour radio race, which uh, I did last year, and it was a ton of fun. And actually, uh, this next year's one, the 2018 one, is coming up. It's on August 25th and 26th, and I highly encourage you to check it out and to submit whatever you make to selects. Anyway, uh, here is that final piece. Um... So sounds. Mm, well, I don't remember hearing a lot of a lot of the guys like rehearsing, and occasionally I, I could like sort of hear someone practicing. What we had instead were the sounds of fire engines and police sirens because it was Harlem in 1968, and things were popping. Kids playing outside—that was a big deal. There were the sounds of neighbors in the building people playing music or watching TV. It was my neighborhood, you know, like these are the people in your neighborhood, kind of, from Sesame Street. Friends went trick or treating for me, that was really nice, and they brought me a bag of candy. There were all these jazz musicians who lived in the co-op where I lived, and they all worked weird hours. Some of them came and went in limousines. I wouldn't get to hear them playing very often. Occasionally I, I could like sort of hear someone practicing. There was an apartment building that was under construction across the street, and they had to use a pile driver to sink piles to help hold the building up. And that reminded me of the pile drivers they used when they were building the highway nearby when I was like, I don't know, three. And it was kind of the relentless march of human progress. The only musician I heard practicing was the kid who lived below me who would every weekend try to play the Star Spangled Banner out the window into the courtyard. Oh God, did he practice? He was so diligent. I have to admire his diligence. Every weekend, he would practice. I kind of had to rely more on my ears to figure out where I was and what was going on around me. And so I felt like I was hearing the sound of time rushing by. We'd hear them because my dad would have their records. Damn, the musicians who lived in the co-op were out working, so we didn't get to, it wasn't like you could hear them, you know, out the windows or something. So that was, I guess, a little odd, because, like, you know, we'd play records from somebody who lived around the hall from us, or somebody who lived in the next building, or somebody who lived around the corner, and it was, I don't know, I never really thought about it, it's just like, this is what they did, this was their job. Mostly I just remember just kind of running into them and with when I'd be with my parents or with my mom and have them telling me, like, my parents, my mom, you know, who, who this person was, and. And, and it would sort of register, but it was just kind of like, you know, just one more grown-up in my life. It wasn't, it wasn't a big deal. It was just, the, it was like, there's the guy who worked at the airport, and there's, you know, the guy who works at The Tonight Show. I mean, it was just, that's the way it was. My strongest memory of musicians is when I was very small. And while making the rounds through the neighborhood with my mother, you know, going to the market and going to the dry cleaners and all that stuff, um, we would pass by Louis Armstrong's house. 
And if he was out in the front yard, my mom would say hello to him and they would chat over the hedge. But I could never see him because the hedge was taller than me. So I could hear that distinctive voice, but I really rarely saw the face. But I knew who it was. And, you know, I don't know how much I cared. I mean, all I cared about was like getting a pastry at the Italian bakery at the end of our errands. This piece was produced by Garrett Tiedemann and the White Whale as part of the 24-hour radio race from KCRW's Independent Producer Project. So that was by Garrett Tiedemann, and you can check out his other work on the White Whale podcast. And that was our episode. As usual, you can vote for your favorite piece online at selects.show, give the creator some feedback or encouragement. The most popular piece will win $100 and some donated audio prizes, including Trent Transcription Time, a subscription to Heisenberg Journalist Pro, and the Isotope RX Elements Noise Reduction Plugin. Uh, so Selects is produced by me, Ben Kiebrick. If you want to give me some feedback, uh, please leave a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, or even better, send me some audio you've been working on. I always love seeing those emails. Um, and so that's at selectspod at gmail.com. Um, and you can find more information about how to submit your piece or uh, a clip of your show at selects.show. Thanks for listening and have a great day.